Welcome to Bill Roden on Sports. Taking you inside clubhouses, locker rooms, and boardrooms. Legendary sports columnist Bill Roden gets inside the heads and beneath the veneer of the men and women who play and own the games we love. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another edition of Bill Roden on Sports. Here with my co-host, uh, the great Jamal Murphy, and um, who's doing something right now. He'll say hi later on. And I've got a uh, very special guest. I mean, all my guests are special. Uh, this is yet another special guest, um, Danny Perry. Uh, Danny Perry, the reason I've got him on is because he's he's written... I'm a big quotes person. I like these uh, collections of, of quotes. And he's come up with a... Um, a really outstanding book of quotes. It's called Jackie Robinson, in quotes, The Remarkable Life of Baseball's Most Significant Player. And it's a really great idea. Uh, anyway, before we get into it, just want to welcome uh, Danny Perry to the show. Danny, welcome. Great to be with you, Bill, uh, again to see you after many years. Yeah, well, you know, he came in the studio, and I thought, wow, this guy looks really, really familiar. It turns out that he is Tim uh, McCarver's producer, right? On on. Well, it's the writer, writer researcher, but Tim and I have done three books together, also. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I know you do do the Tim McCarver show, and you've been doing that since what, 1986? Well, it, it varies. We started out doing radio shows in 1986, the year the when Tim was back then was the uh, uh, analyst for the New York Mets, and mm. we did the 1986, uh, the great. Year where the Mets won the World Series, so that was our beginning, and we've been together thirty years doing book, wow. uh, doing books and radio shows and uh, the TV show. What what books have you? Done? I've been I've been you've been gracious enough to have me on the show a few times, not recently, by the way. No, no, no. <laughs> but what's uh, but what what uh, are the books you guys did together? Well, uh, Tim McCarver's Baseball for Brain Surgeons and Other <laughs> Fans, which we really dissect baseball, or Tim dissects baseball. And, I worked with them on it, and then the perfect season, which was when turned out not to be a, turned out to be an imperfect season with Mark McGuire and Sammy oh. Sosa going for the Homer Crown, and then we did a book, an anthology based on the TV show with quotes from all the baseball players who had come on the show for for all the years. So, uh, and we, we've done all kinds of things. I even helped him with his uh, Hall of Fame speech. Ah, and <laughs> so and how and how did that how, how did that go over? Went over really well, mm-hmm. but uh, I actually have never seen it because they, they, like for television, they clipped it. So, but he was very happy in the response there. Winning the Ford Frick Award was really an honor for Tim, and well, well justified. What What was it like uh, when you were at the Hall of Fame? Uh, uh, because, I mean, this is somebody who was your friend and somebody you wrote the speech for. What mm-hmm. was What was that like? Who Who else do you remember? Who else went, went in with him? Uh, I, I don't remember because it, that was a it was a different day. It was it was uh, broad, He went in as a broadcaster, so it wasn't going in as players. So it was it was actually somebody I'd never heard of. <laughs> Some uh, a, a writer went in with him. Uh, it was just nice. He you know get to talk to his family and thank mm-hmm. his family and go all the way back to when he was a kid and and. It's amazing how people influence you when you don't, you know, these, these coaches or teachers and they don't think, you know, they, they, they help you and they think you'll be, they'll be forgotten. But, you know, Tim remembered all these people from, 
from the early days and then coming up through the cardinal system so it was uh it was just very touching and and he's even uh, he won't mind saying he's not with his wife anymore but he's very thankful to her for all his help you know uh, which which i think about when i you know do this jackie robinson book how all along the way jackie robinson will thank rachel rachel you know one of the things um I was thinking about it while I was coming over here was, you know, obviously you think about, you know, as we anticipate Jackie Robinson Day again, another mm -hmm. Jackie Robinson Day, and I'm writing a column, and every year I write a variation of the same column. I'm trying to do something different this year, but, you know, about where how far we have to go in baseball and you know, like you know, every year, one black manager, maybe two, lack of black players. I mean, it's sort of the same sort of themes that, that baseball is, is facing. And one of the things I was thinking today in anticipation of this show is, um, for some reason, it was kind of getting morbid. I was thinking about life and death and <laughs> who's going to remember you. Maybe because my office, my real office, is in a church in a cemetery, so I'm kind of thinking about it all the time. But who's going to remember you and, and are we really, does matter ever disappear? But then I was thinking that there are people depending on what you do and what you say, are remembered forever. I mean, we're still talking about Abraham Lincoln. I mean, in this country, we're talking about uh, uh, great speeches. And I was thinking this collection of books, you think of a guy like Jackie Robinson who died in 1972, but who is very much alive in spirit. And collections like this, um, I mean, this is a pretty thick book. Yes. It's a pretty thick book. And how he really is, uh, he's really kept alive. Uh, in spirit by a really remarkable assortment of quotes from a remarkable array of people. And I'm wondering how, to, how you came up with the idea of doing this and how did you go about getting the, getting the quotes? We're going to read some in a little while. Well, there's a lot, of, a lot of questions there, but you know, one of the interesting things that you made me think about is how in 1972 when he died at the mm -hmm. age of 53, he was not that revered at that time. It's it's amazing how his rep reputation had diminished, and over the next couple of decades, it was even worse. Mm. Uh, players, uh, superstar players, not only bad guys but good good guys, black black American, uh, African American baseball players, stars, Ricky Henderson, Mookie Wilson, terrific guys, didn't know who Jackie Robinson was. And this went on for like two decades. And, 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 and even when Jackie was at the uh, end of his life, he was talking to youth groups. They had no idea who he was. And uh, what's, what's been great is uh, the revival of his name, the uh, how, how it's not just my book, but because for the last basically 1987, that particularly 1997, I wasn't a Bud Selig fan, but the one great <laughs> thing he did, did was bring back uh, he, he really revered Jackie Robinson and thought April 15, 1947 was the greatest day in baseball history and he retired the uniforms and there's no way nowadays that a, a young black uh, ball player will come into the major leagues and not know who Jackie Robinson is and it's, a, it's a, really a positive because Jackie Robinson only, only brings good things you know and Willie Mays used to say when I looked in my Looked in my wallet, I'd always thank 
Jackie Robinson. And, <laughs> and it's the same with all the guys now. They they should all thank Jackie Robinson. So it's great. Um, this is the second book in a series. I did a book on Derek Jeter, Derek Jeter quote book, and uh, which is more of a challenge because he didn't really. <laughs> I was going to say, it's a pretty thin book. I'd like to see that one. I, <laughs> it's oh, not, 12 pages, including, not, including the colored one, the ones that you color on? It's not. A, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's not as bad as that, and, and Derek Jeter was really bad about talking about the game itself at the time he played it or talking about the next game or dissecting anything, but he actually said a lot about the past uh, in in various places. But I like the idea of a story being told uh, with authenticity, and that comes from quotes. If you have first-person quotes, uh, this book is... Jackie Robinson quotes 3,000 quotes about mm. from every quote in the book is either by Jackie Robinson or about Jackie Robinson with his name in it. And it takes you through chronologically uh, his life and even t- past his life until now when it, he's at, uh, I think, the pinnacle of his fame, oddly enough, <laughs> uh, <laughs> since 1947. So, but it, what it's, I love, I love oral histories myself. I love, as you do, quotes. And what I've found, what people have told me is this is kind of like a, uh, an addictive page turner. You, it's yeah, it's yeah. a great way to, it's a, it's a full biography of Jackie Robinson, but all uh, in quotes, people, and, yeah. and you just don't put it down. You read it, quote, 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 thank you so much. You know, mm-hmm. really, I mean, I find, it, you, you're absolutely right. If you're addicted to this kind of stuff, mm-hmm. which I am, you yeah. just sit down and, uh, you know, you, you'll see some, a lot of times some unlikely people. Of who mm-hmm. you wouldn't think of saying things about Jackie Robinson. Um, I I wanted, you know, when you came in, I said just pick out a couple of your favorites, mm-hmm. and um, you start off with with this one, right? This this very first one that almost leads the book. Uh, there is not an American in this country who is free until every one of us is free. Um, do you remember when he? When he said that, he actually said this many times, mm-hmm. and uh, he would in in the 1950s, right after he retired from from baseball, he, he uh, did a fund drive for the NAACP, and he would travel mostly to a lot of the northern towns like Detroit and and Chicago, but he'd also go south and mm-hmm. St. Augustine, and uh, every place he go, he would either use the word America, but he would. In Detroit, instead of America, in in Chicago, instead of America, and they all related to this. And but this is kind of exactly who Jackie Robinson was. That his the title of his uh, his uh, autobiography, his last one, I never had it made. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what this is. As long as as long as there's one black uh, feeling exploitation or oppression in America, then and not feeling they have equal opportunity, then I'm not, I'm not through with my work is basically the way he felt about it. He never wanted to, he refused to stay on the sidelines and he had work to do and he wanted other people to join him in that work and to bring freedom to everybody in America. Mm-hmm. And then he could, then he would have been able to die in peace, which he wasn't really able to do. Yeah, why, why do you think, um, and we're, we're roughly around the same age, 
Uh, You're a little older, yeah, probably. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> but, but, you know, it doesn't matter. A year. But um, huh. why do you th- you said something a few minutes earlier that, at, and I think people don't remember this. In fact, I don't remember it. I think I graduated uh, from college. I went to Morgan, Morgan State. Morgan State, uh, yeah. And he died, I think, my senior year. Uh, and and um, but why do you what you know when you mention this you know come to think about it yeah seventy uh, two he wasn't right now we remember well how could you not know but seventy two why do you think that was because you were you were you around the game and what were you doing well seventy two you're just getting out of I was in college, college my, yeah. I was in college myself uh, and I I definitely watched that World Series because my favorite team are, is the uh, Oakland Athletics so. I watched that, and but I've, I but I I always had a complete uh, reverence for Jack, Jackie Robinson. He was part of my my whole youth and an important part of my my youth. Um, part of the reason, you know, that it's there's there are two factions, there are two two worlds. He was in. He was in the baseball world, and then right after that, he was in the civil rights movement, and. He he would move back and forth. I call it man in the middle from mainstream <laughs> politics to to militant politics. Um, baseball sort of uh, forgot about him. Uh, he was from the Dodger organization. He had a very strained relationship with Walter O'Malley. They uh, there, he was at one point uh, earlier in his career. O'Malley said, "After you finish a career, maybe you can." be the manager of the Montreal Royals, which would have been a big deal having mm-hmm. a, a, an African-American manager in AAA. And, but by the time the 1956 came on, he retired, and the Dodgers were trying to trade him to the Giants, as, as you know. And he retired instead. They were really, a really strained relationship. And he was known as this insolent ball player, a guy who talked too much. You're not supposed to talk if you're a baseball player. So... He, his ties were cut off from baseball. One year in the in the in the mid, uh, early sixties, I guess around sixty four, he ABC had game of the week and he was the analyst. But otherwise, he really wasn't part of baseball. So he went into the civil uh, into civil rights uh, movement and also into mainstream politics. Uh, became a Republican. We can get into that later. But um, but by the end of the sixties. Uh, things had changed in the civil rights movement, besides a lot of people being killed, killed <laughs> off. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was kind of considered passe in that field, that world also. So there was baseball, the Dodgers, who when he was put in the Hall of Fame in 62, the Hall of Fame went to ask the, Dodger, the Los Angeles Dodgers for pictures of Jackie Robinson so they could show in their displays, and they didn't have any. Mm. They say, we don't have any Jackie, and that's how far apart they were. Mm. Uh, so that was his situation. And he also, he was all, from the, from the time, actually when he started playing baseball, he would write a column for the right, Pittsburgh right, Courier. Right. Then later on, he, uh, he, he'd always be writing for something, some either op-eds or whatever, and then for the New York Post when it was a liberal paper, <laughs> and then the New York Amsterdam News, which is a, a, black, a black paper, and then he lost that column. So he lost his forum. So he was still trying to be shape public opinion, but he didn't really have any outlets anymore. So he was a little, as they say, passe. The blah, 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 the the young black uh, leaders of the time 
thought he was an old guy mm-hmm. and you know not part of not not in tune with what what they wanted which was more militant than Jackie wouldn't they thought Jackie was but there was a part of Jackie that was more militant than they they were and they actually not I mean who's that the, the writer um uh Albert Murray I was asking him about Malcolm X and uh Jackie Robinson mm-hmm. and he said uh you know, he said, well, you know, Malcolm, you know, he talked, I mean, you know, something that, that Jackie says, Malcolm talked about, but, you know, he didn't kick anybody's ass. Jackie Robinson kicked people's ass, yeah. and he knocked people out. You know? well, yeah, that was, that was always what Jackie Robinson would say about Malcolm X. Malcolm X would give all these speeches, but never would be on the front lines. Mm-hmm. You know, Jackie Robinson would actually be marching and, and giving speeches, uh, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in Birmingham, Alabama, after the churches had been burned and four little girls got killed, mm-hmm. he would be on the front lines. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, um, have, have, did you did you meet him through uh, uh, maybe through Tim? Did you ever meet Robinson? Um, I don't know. In the uh, when, I don't know when. Well, he know. died in '72, so I was still in college. So, so you never came no, across him. No, I never. I never saw him. In person, so where would you? Because you grew up in um, you, you grew up and you were born in West Virginia. Oh, you did. And you grew that. up in yes. South Carolina. Yes. Uh, so, what was your connection? I mean, what was your just just radio or or just hearing about him? What was your connection? Uh, I don't know. It, it, it's hard for people to remember how the uh, the uh, impact of baseball cards on on kids. Uh, baseball cards and the Sunday paper, which would have all the batting averages mm-hmm. every, every year. Uh, every every week of all the players, I was a baseball card fanatic. Mm. Uh, my brother, I have a five year uh, brother's five years older, and he was collecting baseball cards. I was born in forty nine, so in nineteen fifty three, uh, the the tops cards came out, and I I couldn't read yet, but my brother would show me these cards, and give a little summary of every ball player, mm. so. So there would be uh, uh, Ralph Kiner. Uh, my brother would say he's the guy who hits more home runs. He's the be- uh, the home run champion. Phil Rizzuto. He's the great bunter. Uh, mm. Jack uh, Jim Fridley. He's from where you were born, Philippi, West Virginia, where we live. And then there was Jackie Robinson, who was the number one card on tops. And uh, and baseball card just had that impact. On impact on me and I always remember that card and years later I still have that card I I would show it to when I see Rachel Robinson here's the card that I had back when my brother was we shared cards so it was four years old and then I I was um, my the first card I ever owned was uh, Vic Power Ah, okay. 1954, and he was my cool Vic Power cool Vic Power and he was my idol my childhood idol all all through uh his career until 65. We actually can know each other now, but uh, but the thing with um, with uh, Vic, you know, I know everything about Vic Power. Vic he Power. Ad- he admired Jackie Robinson a lot. He said he, you know, he came from Vic Power was from Puerto Rico, and he didn't he didn't have any understanding of Jim Crow laws, and all of a sudden he was in the Yankee organization in spring training in Florida and dealing with. You know, you can't go to the restaurants with the white guys. You can't, you can't, uh, 
you, you can't go to the bath, same bathrooms. Uh, he got arrested once for crossing against the light because he said all he told the judge all the white people go when it's green. So I thought I should be supposed to go when uh, when it's a black light. <laughs> I mean a red light, and the judge actually let him off for you know for jaywalking. So uh, so anyway, that was he couldn't believe what Jackie Robinson went through. Mm. He came a few years later, but uh, just had tremendous admiration for him mm. and, and so that tran- that transferred to me also although I was a Jackie Robinson fan all all the time mm. well, well anyway but my brother would look at the car Jackie Robinson number one card and say this is the guy first guy to er- uh, African American he called them Negroes in those days mm. to play uh, Major League Baseball and that's wow that's really something so it struck me it struck me really good in in a positive way and he became one of my heroes my guest is danny perry he's the author of jackie robinson in quotes the remarkable life of baseball's most significant player uh we're going to take a break just a second and we'll be right back and when we come back um i you've picked out a few quotes uh there are tons of many of you a few favorite quotes i've got a couple and uh we'll kind of talk about them and sort of talk about what they mean at a, uh, when, when we anticipate uh, Jackie Robinson Day. We'll be right back in a few seconds. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Taking you inside the games we love. This is Bill Roden on Sports. We're back. Bill Roden on Sports with uh, my guest, uh, Danny Perry. And um, here with, of course, my great co-host, the great Jamal Murphy. How are you? Everything is good. Um, you know, so we're going through this book of uh, quotes, and, and like I said, I'm really just a quotes fanatic. I, I just, not, well, I shouldn't say fanatic, but I like them a lot, and I like this book a lot. Um, I really do want to get the, the Jeter book, though. I can't believe it's more than five pages. <laughs> you, you, you know, but um, remember, remember, it's not only Jeter talking; it's other people talking about Jeters, and they, they're more verbal than he is. Yeah, yeah, I get it. But he'll surprise you. It'll, one of the reasons I did that book is, is, is interesting. Is I did books, uh, biographies, of Gil Hodges and Roger Maris, and one of the things I learned is time as time pet. Time, time is not a friend of ball players who retire, mm. and I, I found that um, people ten years later don't remember anything about these guys. They they just rely on what, whoever the reporters are of the day, and if they're young and they haven't seen them play either. And I was thinking with Derek Jeter, it's you know he's so in the news and everybody knows him. You know we're all sick of him almost <laughs> ad nauseum. There's yeah. so much. His farewell tour went on for seemed like five years, <laughs> but but uh, you know besides his hits, three thousand whatever six hundred and something hits. Ten years from now, when people say, "What did Derek Jeter do?" They'll say, "Well, he did the hits." And I don't remember anything else he did because he didn't win the MVP. Didn't right. this was he as good as we uh, as we were told? I, I don't think so, because <laughs> based based on this, because his memory isn't. So this is a book of witnesses to a guy's career, and uh, so that's part of my interest in doing the Jeter book is to to validate him 10 years from now. And he gave you more personally than you expected? 
Derry. Oh well, I didn't actually. I don't even know if Derek Jeter knows this book. Oh wow, exists. Okay. Yeah, because he's. Uh, I don't think he's. He would. He would think favorably about a, a book of quote my quotes uh, right. uh, because Derek Jeter was somebody who intentionally gave bad quotes. Right. I mean, this was this was uh, wasn't wasn't by chance. He did it. And he did it with purpose. It works. Yeah, right. it, it worked for me. I, I mean, he's a great guy. I mean, he's a very intelligent guy, but. You know, it's just a, to me, I just found it was a waste of time, waste of his yeah. time, waste of my time. Why bother? Let's just go on. Uh, mm. but, but but now, but we've got some great quotes. I mean, Jackie Robinson, if he were around today, would be a quote machine. But <laughs> but by definition, I mean he, the, his historical presence, uh, his historical stature, by definition, you, you know, it made him some. I, I, probably by his personality too. My sense is that. He wasn't really a shrinking violet. I mean, he wasn't the kind of person oh, who would just, just completely you know, different. I have nothing to say. Yeah, yeah. That, well, that's what's what's remarkable about uh, Jackie Robinson is of all the people to tell don't to say don't uh, argue with umpires, don't say anything in the press negative. Basically, keep your mouth shut for two years. All the guys in the whole world that tell this to Jackie Robinson would seem to be the most unlikely. Because he was always talking, and always opinionated, and always angry about something. Hmm. Although Rachel Robinson says he wasn't an angry black man, he he actually <laughs> wasn't an angry black man, <laughs> yeah. uh, and and rightfully so. Rightfully so. Yeah, yeah. He saw a lot, and he suffered. He suffered a lot. Have you seen Have you seen the documentary? The, the, the Ken Burns. Yeah, sure. What do you think? Sure. I we had him on our show a couple of days. Of, what last week? Well, Ken Bur- Ken Burns that had Rachel Robinson and a lot of other good people to talk like, to. I'm like not, the president. I'm, I'm never, uh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> including him and, and Michelle. And Michelle. And Michelle. Uh, you know, what's, what I found the most interesting thing about it is he got four hours to tell Jackie Robinson's story. And from my all my research where I tried to f- put in everything in his life and past, four hours is not adequate because mm. right. I was just watching and say oh uh, you know my, I'm watching with my wife and I say hey here this is going to come up and wait till you hear the full story and then he'll move on to a different story because he just didn't have time it's, wow. it's not his his fault what the what was there was great and but there's more to the story what, what story did you have I mean the, the oh all his coll- uh, all the army stuff uh, Kansas City Monarchs a very you just went zip right yeah, I was right a little surprised it. that he just kind of glossed over the, uh-huh. with the monarch there were, there were a few seconds of the monarchs and then yeah. I hate playing the Negro and then yeah that, let's that, move on to that, the, that that things and then you couldn't really tell the difference between when he played at Pasadena Junior College and UCLA. One of my big surprises um, doing this book is how famous Jackie Robinson was as a UCLA football player. That he he was written about in New York Times, for instance, and then he played in Chicago for the All Star game back when the oh, yeah. the college All Stars would play the yeah, the, the champion. The, the they champion, yeah. they played the Chicago Bears, I and he was game, a star. Yeah. I always felt sorry for the college players, but every once in a while they pull off an upset. Uh, but, uh, you know, when we talk about Branch Rickey sending out his uh, his scouts to find out, find the perfect black ball player, he had uh, Clyde Sukforth, uh, George Sisler, and Wood Matthews, and... Uh, and he, the, and finally, uh, Wendell Wendell Smith of the of Philadelphia, uh, the Pittsburgh Courier, suggested Jackie Robinson, and 
how much you know it was always portrayed as Branch Ray didn't know who he was but this is a famous famous right. guy right. and so the, uh, but uh, but I can't th- I can believe that Branch Ricky never saw him play baseball oh, I can believe that but yeah. but not that he didn't know who he was because remember the guys in his backfield Kenny Washington Kenny and Washington. Woody Stro- I mean they they, they and Woody Strode was yeah, the end you yeah know, they desegregated uh, uh, pro football yeah. a year before so it's not like it was like a 1946, nice yeah, Woody, Woody Strode and uh, and Kenny Washington, his former teammates at UCLA, play. You know, Jackie Robinson was good enough to also do that, but he didn't. He didn't want to go into a football career. He didn't think there was much promise there. Well, one of the interesting things I'm just thinking this isn't this is off topic, but when I say Branch Rickey never saw Jackie Robinson play, the only time he would have seen him play was with the with the Monarchs because. He had played for like five years. That's what's amazing about the skills that this guy had. He he really you know he, even in college, when people talk about his uh, what a great athlete he was, he was a he was a great football player. He uh, the his college uh, basketball coach said he if he would have stuck with basketball, he might have been the greatest basketball player ever. He was a track and field sensation he set NCAA records from the long jump and he did uh, sprinting uh, and uh, you know he he won tennis tournaments he won everything his worst sport was baseball <laughs> that's that's uh, you know and he never thought he'd have a baseball career because they did he didn't until until he joined the monarchs which was strictly to make money because he couldn't f- couldn't find a job to make money and hel- help his mother back home and um so he went back to baseball, but he he always said, if I knew I was going to play baseball, I wouldn't have played football because mm. football really damaged his uh, his ankles in particular. He was injured, but to to be that good, you know, when he went to the Monarchs in 1945, uh, that's remarkable. Nobody really talks about that. It's just how could he be? You know, I think he hit like 380 something, and, <laughs> and he was being written about in mainstream press not just the black papers but how good this guy was yeah people say people say yes he wasn't the best he wasn't right. the best baseball player so yeah. right. i'm like which, i doubt it yeah i yeah. I, 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 I i'm skeptical and it, it. it's interesting because a lot of what you hear is you know he was picked because of of his personality mm-hmm. which you kind of refute a little bit you know saying that he was an angry person no no i, th- I think branch ricky was brilliant in picking jackie robinson he was exactly the right person but for i say brilliant because how could he look at jackie robinson's background where he's even been arrested a few right. times and right. always was known known for being a hothead and uh, his temper that he would still pick jackie robinson as being the right guy and he was correct. He was the right guy, and that's that's remarkable. Mm. Let, let's uh, Jamal. There's a passage that uh, that we're going to read a few passages from the book. Uh, there's a quote that you came across. It's one of my favorite quotes. Um, why don't you read it? Let's, let's talk about it. It's one of Robinson's famous famous quotes. But in, right, uh, this quote is: "A life is not important except in the impact it has on other lives," which is actually on his his new uh, tombstone. Correct. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's his most famous. Yeah. It's his I most famous quote. quote. I love the quote, and I mean, I, I'm familiar. Obviously, I'm familiar with it. But the older I get, you know, I mentor kids. I've got a program uptown, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, it's like a sports and recreation program. But with each 
the the older I get, you realize that that really is all it's about. It's it's really just about having an impact, particularly on young people. You know, when he was famous years later, he won the uh, uh, MVP award in 1949, and he was the top of his game. And he was he'd go back to Pasadena, and they basically ignore him, but. Uh, one of the, his gang members, uh, he used to be part of this benevolent gang. It was just a, nice, <laughs> a group a of nice guys. They basically, you know, they'd, they'd steal stuff from the grocery stand. That was the, their worst their worst crime and throw dust balls at cars and or whatever. But but he'd go, he'd, uh, he'd go back to Pasadena, and um, the only reason he was uh, – praise there was one of the gang members was a white guy who mm. became mayor of Pasadena so he he would always be there I forgot I actually forgot the point we we're making the uh, well we, we were talking we were just re- jumping around and reading oh the impact oh yeah this is what I want to say he was being celebrated more and more in Pasadena as his life went on and they, they was sort of out of, out of guilt but he would have you know so he'd give his speech and, and he would uh, he would talk about his teacher when he was like six years old about this like white teacher he mentioned her by name and and when we when he makes a quote like this about the impact you have on others that Jackie Robinson at a time when he lived in Pasadena and there was so much prejudice there and racism there and and black kids really had a tough time and the black particularly black poor kids like Jackie that that he needed some encouragement and he got it from this one teacher who treated him like you know it was a white teacher who treated him like an equal and he never forgot and that thing about this teacher having impact on him led for him thinking i need to have impact on others and even when jackie robinson won his um or well, was put in the hall of fame his hall of fame speech now i got this award i'm going to use it to help others right which i think wow what kind? Nobody says that. <laughs> right, right, right. Nobody yeah. says that. Right. This is your day, supposedly, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. But but it's it was also his his whole thing is, um, I'm never going to be on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. It's, it's my it's my responsibility to uh, to help other help other people because mm-hmm. there are people who are a lot worse off than I am, and particularly in the South. Let me ask you this. Uh, I, I want you to read. There's a passage you're going to read. Uh, one of your many, there are mm-hmm. many passages. This is one of your favorite passages. But before we get into that, again, this is something that I said. I don't know if it was off mic or not. That I wrestle with each Jackie Robinson day um, about the significance of it, the, the essence of it. You know, there, I, fortunately there was a Ken Burns uh, four-hour documentary that kind of took us, presented a more multi-dimensional. Um, vision of him or view of him but what uh, what why do you think it's important why do you think uh, why do you think it's important to have this day you know every year and to, and to um, and to have people talk about him talk about because I mean there's always a danger of it becoming a cliche you know well, I think I think it's uh, like one of the most significant dates in American history uh, particularly sports history and particularly baseball history Um I know you, you both of you have watched uh, Turner Classic movies or whatever, and you'll watch an old classic from the 30s or 40s, and it'll be, you know, Cary Grant and 
Irene Dunn or whatever, and it's a great thing, and you're enjoying the movie, then all of a sudden one of the great black actors, Willie Best or Stephen Fetchett or Hattie McDaniel or Louise Beavers will come on and play, despite having these great talent, having these demeaning characters where you uh, you get em- sort of embarrassed by this movie. I mean, I love the movie, but it has that scene in it and that character. And it kind of ruins it for you. And for baseball fans, I think until April 15, 1947, you have an embarrassment before that. Uh, until, ni- until that day, you just think, you look at Babe Ruth hit 714 homers, but they're all against white pitchers. Cy Young won mm-hmm. 511 games all against white ball teams, ball clubs. And that's the date where we can start uh, getting over our guilt of enjoying baseball. Because <laughs> you, you, how can you really enjoy, even as a baseball historians or whatever, love it. And we love reading about the old times and what, whatever, but how can we really love it if there's a Negro League and all those players can't get into the major leagues. How can we love the major league history the way we should? And the April 15th, 1947, at least sends us in an opposite direction. We're going, so we, in, in theory, and it, it hasn't all come to pass, but in theory, that's when it became, as Branch Rickey wanted to do, America's pastime when it was integrated. Mm. So... That's why I think it, it's really important. Uh, what you mentioned before, there aren't enough African American ball players today in, in baseball, and that's a, a really a, a travesty. And it's uh, it's something that could be rectified, with, but it isn't mm. by by Major League Baseball because they want a certain percentage of players to be white. Now that's interesting. Uh, I mean. That, I mean, that's like that, that's that, that's a subtle thing, but that's uh-huh. uh, you know I was speaking to um, somebody. I wasn't going to go down that road, but since you mentioned, well, it, nobody does go down yeah. that road, so they don't. <laughs> no, have we to should go down because you know because I was asking. Uh, yeah, you know, so that's when you look at it. That baseball is the last preserve. If you look at the the tapestry of the American sports um, mm-hmm. scene, the NFL and the NBA. So if you're a young white kid. And you have these aspirations for top Division One scholarship in football, basketball, or a pro career. Somebody's got to tell you, you know what? It's not. It's not looking that good because African Americans really dominate. But baseball has remained the sort of last preserve for the white athlete. Mm-hmm. And I was telling this to Tony Clark the other day because he was saying, you know, he 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 presented this plan that he's going to give to the commissioner about how we can do this. I said, well. Do you think maybe is maybe baseball does not want to do this? Maybe they want to, and some people, oh come on, you got to be kidding me! You want the best players, but well, you remember when Gary Sheffield would mention that stuff like that, and he just get, you know, ravaged in the uh, in the mainstream press, even the New York press. Uh, they just stop talking about this subject. You know, there are not enough blacks, and blacks are being kept out of baseball intentionally, and it's uh, really true. Hmm. And it could be rectified with what I always thought of Jackie Robinson scholarships at, at uh, different uh, universities to say, get young blacks to go to gravitate toward baseball rather than always football and always basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, could, they could also have more facilities in the inner cities, uh, obviously. Um, 
And the other thing is to get rid of, uh, to put everybody uh, internationally into the same draft. Yeah. Which is the, the, the you know, that was all, the, the draft was created to, to uh, have parity in baseball with all the teams and was you keep all the international players out of the draft and all the Latin black players, mm-hmm. which is where they get black players. Right. Uh, the, you know th- that's it's always going to be a problem you, you're not you're not going to the, the the good teams are going to get the best players again so you know me as an Oakland A's fan I'm not getting any of my <laughs> I'm not <laughs> getting any of these uh, Asian stars or Hispanic stars all the good teams or the uh, the uh, big market teams are g- getting them so I want to get rid of get rid of that and then the, bon- the bonuses that uh, you know, a lot of the major league teams don't want to pay black American ball players bonuses because they can get the other guys. They can sign a whole bunch of players cheaper. So that's all part of this uh, part of what's happened, which has kept the African American percentage down to like eight percent now. It used to be like twenty five percent at one point. And uh, what is, what do they get out of it? I mean, well, I just well, it keeps the American the. the Everything, all the all the percentages fluctuate except for the whites, which stay like twenty seven percent or something, or whatever, or even higher than that. Uh, but it's it's really unfair to young black kids. But doesn't the game suffer? I mean, wouldn't you? I mean, if everybody's wringing their hands about what you're almost saying is that we'd rather spite our face. What is it? Cut off our nose, off our nose. <laughs> to spite our face. If people are saying that the game is suffering and you need more people maybe what's that well you never notice there's it's suffering because there's so many great players around the world there's still only a few slots so you always see good baseball but but some of the you know you know could michael jordan have been even a better baseball player uh, than a basketball player if if he had the opportunity you know because he loved baseball so I'm, I'm glad he played basketball <laughs> in that case, but but that's just a, an instance, you know. We want uh, we talk about opportunity. That's an opportunity to play a different sport than just these two: basketball or football. Especially, you don't want to play football anymore because you get a, you get a concussion. But you know, baseball is a great sport, and you want you want the uh, young black players in America to have access. It's almost like a combination of forces. Uh, there are some societal forces, but yeah. what, you're, what you're saying is baseball is not doing is kind of okay with those societal forces. Yeah, they don't they don't bring it up. I'm simplifying it, but right, they, right. I mean, I don't know how the whole thing right, has right, to right. get in get into effect. But you know, Jack, one of the great things about Jackie Robinson is uh, when uh, you know he played in 1947. Uh, that was his first year, and then in July, Larry Doby got signed, and then there were other black ball players in the next next few years and I think that was like the most important thing for Jackie Robinson it wasn't I want to become a star and show everybody I can uh, you know what they call, phrased them back in the old days was make the grade that he could be a ball player but it was the show it was to open the door for other black ball players or it had no meaning at all to him and he would say, "People don't." That's one of the quotes I like. People don't realize how much I'm rooting for these mm. other guys. Mm. And so, in terms of today, he wants he would want young black ball players to have 
opportunity. I, I know Jackie, uh, Rachel Robinson's really, uh, you know, upset by the yeah. well, the, the, right, the low, the low number. The, one of her quotes, uh, she yeah. says, well, anyway, I'll read it as I'm fumbling through it, but uh, there was um, there's a there was a quote, a passage you wanted to read. Well, I um, wanted to, uh, I thought, you know, we'd talk about 1947, you know, that, uh, you know, when, when Jackie went into baseball, uh, into the major leagues, in, in the Ken Burns uh, bi- uh, biography, Rachel said that he was aware of his burden, uh, that he what he meant to the black people and whatever. My thought is, he did, but he didn't know it that much. He didn't realize it to that extent. And what I said before about making the grade in 1947, he wanted he wanted to make the team. <laughs> he wanted to stay. He didn't want to get demoted, and he had a bad beginning. And he almost, you know, I don't know if he's ever going to be sent down. But he was, he was, felt a little insecure after a while. Then he started playing like, like uh, Jackie Robinson could. And I think, in my opinion, better than any ball player from the Negro leagues would have played. I think, he, I think he was actually the best ball player during that. Period. Why is maybe that? Maybe black and maybe black and white. Why do you say better than any other Negro player? Just the the versatility he had, and the you know he was considered almost everybody from that era the best base runner I've ever seen. Right. And the other thing is the best competitor I've ever seen, and he basically caused mayhem. <laughs> um, he, uh, you know, the, the guys say like John Thorne and uh, and the in the Ken Burns, he said Sam Jethro or Monty Irvin, two great players, Monty, but Sam Jethro had about three good years, and that was it for him. Monty Irvin did come up a little too late, and he was a great ball player. Wow, great ball player. But uh, he didn't have the – he those two guys, Jethro a little bit, but they, they wouldn't – every game that Jackie Robinson played, had his identity on it you know mm-hmm. you had sort of what did Jackie Robinson do that right, game to right. mess up the other team and unnerve the pitcher and get you know how when did the catcher throw the ball away trying to throw him out and, mm-hmm. you know it was, it was like that Joe Garagiola's flying was he was the only ball player when we'd have team meetings we talk about what we would do when he was on first base what we would do when he's on <laughs> second base what we do when he's on third base so he just changed the whole dynamic but mm-hmm. you know J- Sam Jethro Monty Irvin, they played that hard-nosed baseball, and they played run-through-the-base baseball, which is character, characteristic of the, the the Negro Leagues. But Jackie Robinson, who only played one year in the Negro Leagues, he had his own style of play, and, and one of his main his signature things was rundowns. You know, he 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 would he would get out of you know he'd be caught caught stealing a base and get in a rundown. More than half the time, he'd get he'd make it to the next base which is what right right <laughs> and if you watch those rundowns it, it, and the ken burns thing had the uh oh, football yeah. thing scenes from uh you know when he played at ucla and pasadena and he's making the same moves you know the guys can't tackle him right. and he's going off and it was like he's doing this on the base pass in that little little area you know it was uh, remarkable mm-hmm. but anyway 1947 jackie robinson came up and uh my quote is is from Chadwick Boseman, who uh, played uh, Jackie Robinson in the movie Forty Two, and it's, it's uh, this this is I find very interesting. 
if you think about him being an icon and a hero anyway, that actually is the pitfall in playing the role. I find that very interesting. It's the biggest pitfall you can fall into because he didn't know that he was going to be an icon. He didn't know that he was going to be a hero. In fact, Jackie has to deal with the heroism throughout the movie when he finds out that being in, the major le in Major League Baseball is a bigger deal to everyone than he thought it would be. You can't completely block out that feeling of responsibility, but you can focus the same way he did, and this is him playing the role, one thing at a time, moment to moment, eventually all the pieces will be, will be there. Mm. So I, I find that really interesting that in order that Bo Chadwick Boseman found the key, and he was so good as Jackie Robinson, everybody loves him, in the, but it was that Jackie Robinson realized every black person was going to be watching him, and he couldn't, he couldn't fail because of that, and and uh, he didn't he never talked about being a burden whatever but he was on the spot he realized that but he never realized to what extent he didn't realize he was going to be getting fan mail from every little town in the country from thank you know thank you whatever <laughs> he didn't realize that people would fill the stands and cheer when he as he said when I when I tied my shoelaces they would cheer me you know because they weren't real baseball fans but they <laughs> were Jackie Robinson fans and and Brooklyn Dodger fans and that he all of it, and 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 because he was black and because he was getting hate mail and because he was getting death threats, people all over were scared for him also. Right. Uh, so he didn't realize the 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 magnitude of what he was doing and probably uh, going into it if he knew that that would have yeah Jackie Robinson would have still done it but uh, he would have done it. Uh, with less, maybe a less confidence, less, le less, with with less worry than he would. But it was, I, I find that really interesting that he never really thought of himself that I'm going to be a hero, right? And uh, and I I think he actually never. I think he agree. He he was okay with being a hero, and I I, I think about this a lot, and I think it's because. He himself had heroes who were blacks, and I think he, he thought it was positive. Joe Lewis was a hero of his, mm -hmm. as in many, many blacks, and he also had his his older brother, Mac Robinson, who was a uh, Olympian, uh, mm -hmm. track and field, came out second to Je Je Jesse Owens. Uh, now we have about four minutes left, and in that four minutes, I want to kind of not sum up his life you can't do it in four minutes but no. there are two things this is or four hours four, <laughs> or four I know we can't do it in four hours we can do it in four minutes but you, and this is Roden, Bill Roden on sports we could do a lot in four <laughs> hours um, but this is one thing he said in his biography he said a, a couple of very interesting things at the end of his life in this biography and it's sort of the perspective of a man who had been through all this stuff and at the very end of it it's almost, you see the American dream, and it was somewhat of an illusion, which, <laughs> headlines. <laughs> <laughs> but this is something he said. He said, um, I cannot stand and sing the, the anthem. I cannot salute the flag. I know that I am a black man in a white world. In 1972, in 1947, at my birth in 1919, I know I never had it made. Sort of the chilling last words of the, which, I found that that's pretty phenomenal. 
And then um, you know, Rachel Robinson hated that yeah. that he would he would not be able. He was a really patriotic guy, and that he would be so disillusioned and uh, upset by the what, as he recognized more and more how frustrating it was to 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 achieve equal uh, opportunity and social justice and first class citizenship, and probably he would you know knowing he was going to die that he wasn't going to be able to change that. So. See that. And then, then another one, you know, he the, the big thing when he testified against uh, Paul Robeson, Paul Robeson the yeah. uh, House Un-American Activities thing, and of course he caught a lot of A lot of flack, flack from, from, the, from the black community. Yeah, but so at the end of his life, again, this, he never, I never had a major, if you haven't read that book, you need to read it, because it's, it's a good book. Anyway, he says this about his testi- testifying against Robeson, and I thought it would have been in the Burns film, but mm-hmm. it was cause I thought this was a very interesting thing too. He said, "In those days, I had much more faith in the ultimate justice of the American white man than I have today. I would reject such an invitation if offered now. I have grown wiser and closer to the painful truths about America's destructiveness, and I do have increased respect for Paul Robeson, who, over the span of 20 years, sacrificed himself." his career, and the wealth and comfort he once enjoyed because I believe he was sincerely trying to help his people. Now, that's a hell of a... Th- I mean, he apologized for a lot of stuff, but that, to me, always that's struck really, out. That's as really powerful. The, you know, I'm sure from the time he testified in 1949 until he died, he thought of it every day. Yeah, I'm sure. Right. That's like the pitcher who, as soon as he leaves your hand, yeah. he said, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. yeah. I but I, I think he. I don't think he knew it was a mistake right away. I think mm-hmm. he did wait. It was just something that he debated in his head all all those years. Right. Because it, the the interesting thing about the testimony and the the real problem with the testimony is he legitimized the UAC right. in which he shouldn't have gone to do that. But he talked about Paul Robeson for about two sentences, exactly, and then he just went off and talked about uh, the discrimination that goes on in in America. And uh, it's actually <laughs> it's interesting that that's on the congressional record. And one of the things, uh, interesting things, is that the UAC was was, uh, was uh, chaired by a guy from John S. Wood from from Georgia, a white mm-hmm. guy who, was, who had ties to the Ku Klux Klan. He didn't show up when Robinson came. Right. And Robeson yeah. said it's because you don't want he doesn't want to call Jackie Robinson <laughs> Mister. Yeah, so yeah, so. It's interesting. It's part of the the two, and I'm glad Paul Robeson was really happy when Jackie Robinson made the Hall of Fame, and never really turned against Jackie Robinson because he, he was knew. and he was the older guy and yeah. and, and the wiser man. And yeah. You know. um, we could do this for another uh, another hour because yeah. it's, it's it's really a phenomenal book. My guest has been uh, Danny Perry, the author of Jackie Robinson in quotes. And who who published this? Is published by Page Street Publishing, a company in Salem, Massachusetts. Can we get this anywhere? Can we? Uh, do we have to order this or what? Well, well, definitely definitely on Amazon. I mean, right? or, or or you give it to us. No, but <laughs> I'm but giving I, it to everybody. No, 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 <laughs> don't, don't yeah. give it away. Do not <laughs> give it away. No, you are. You you buy <laughs> all the books. And give it away. No, it's uh, it's uh, the pub the pub date is a- April nineteenth. So okay. already, I guess you can pre-order, but I'm sure it's in Barnes and Noble mm-hmm. already. But of course, Amazon, BarnesandNoble.com. dot com, and uh, of course, I'm a uh, big believer and uh, supporter of independent bookstores. Mm-hmm. So 
go to your independent bookstore and have them order. I'm sure they don't have it, but Jackie Robinson in quotes, and I think you'll be you'll see a different side to uh, the, the his his biography has been told many times, and it's a different way to tell it. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. Listen, Danny, thank you so much. Great seeing you again. Great seeing you again. <laughs> Hope it won't be this long, uh, that long again next no, time. No, it won't be. Hey, listen, thank you very much, Jamal. See you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.